0: to the Innovation Forum podcast for Friday 25th of March with me, Ian Welsh. I'm pleased to have a new voice on the podcast this week. Recently, Innovation Forum's B. Stevenson spoke with Sala Sassamoinen, Director for Civil and Commercial Justice, DG Justice and Consumers at the European Commission, about some of the potential implications for business from the EU's mandatory rules on due diligence and human rights and environmental impacts. Plus, we have an update on the Business and Climate Action Conference coming up in June from Innovation Forum's Natasha Bodnar. First, though, is some sustainable business news. The Securities and Exchange Commission in the U.S. has proposed that publicly traded companies must report on their Scope 1 and 2 direct and indirect emissions, and in some cases, their Scope 3 supply chain emissions. Some companies, such as Microsoft and Apple, already do publish detailed analysis. Others have been more reluctant to do so. As ever, in the US right now, the reaction to the proposal is mixed, with Republican politicians and some industry groups already lobbying against the proposals, claiming that they will increase costs and even that they go beyond the SEC's mandate. In the European Union, details of what the proposed carbon border adjustment mechanism will look like is becoming clearer. The EU's finance ministers have agreed details of this new carbon tax designed to protect high-emitting companies inside the EU complying with the bloc's carbon reduction laws. Energy-intensive goods such as steel, cement and fertilisers coming into the EU will be subject to tariffs to reduce the risk of carbon leakage. In other words, excess emissions made in markets not subject to the EU's tight regulation. In so doing, a level playing field for EU companies is created while reducing emissions overall. Or that's the theory. There have also been calls for the UK to introduce a similar carbon tariff to protect low-emission domestic manufacturers. A new report from business coalition Aldersgate Group proposes such a move as part of an overall push to develop a low-carbon economy in the UK. Businesses in high-emission sectors, including automotive and construction, are finding it challenging to decarbonise processes amid concerns that they will be undercut on price by cheap, high-carbon imports, the report argues. It also proposes that more investment is required to help companies roll out low-carbon technology beyond pilot schemes. Banking giant HSBC has been criticised over its approach to reducing emissions and accused of providing $87 billion of finance to fossil fuel companies between 2015 and 2021. However, the bank has announced a period of consultation into how it should adjust its policy for financing high emitting sectors. The bank says it wants to finance the transition to net zero and will ask fossil fuel businesses for net zero plans and states belief that its greatest impact on climate action can be through engaging its clients and developing robust transition plans. Insurance sector giant Swiss Re has pledged to stop providing cover to the top 10% most carbon-intensive energy sector projects from mid-2023. Swiss Re will eventually stop providing insurance and reinsurance to the remaining 90% of the oil and gas sector for companies that do not have net-zero transition plans with 2050 or better deadlines, with a commitment to cutting by 50% cover for projects without such plans in place by 2025. Consumer goods giant Unilever has announced the successful pilot of a blockchain solution that tracked 188,000 tons of palm oil sourced from Indonesia. The Green Token by SAP solution creates digital tokens that capture information throughout the palm oil's journey along what is typically a complex supply chain. The key challenge is that palm oil from known and unknown sources is typically mixed in the supply chain, which makes determining origin practically impossible. Origin is, of course, important for brands and sourcing companies that want to be able to demonstrate a deforestation-free supply chain. Unilever says it will scale up the use of green token solutions as part of its commitment to a deforestation-free supply chain by 2023. This spring, the Innovation Forum event series will include forums on sustainable apparel and textiles, responsible supply chains and ethical trade, and the future of food. All details of who is participating and how to register for tickets is available on the Innovation Forum website. And coming up from the 7th to 9th of June is the next Innovation Forum series of conferences focusing on business and climate action. To find out all the latest about the event, earlier this week I caught up with Innovation Forums' Natasha Bodnar. Welcome back to the podcast, Natasha. Hi, Ian. Okay, so how is the event that's coming up in June? How's it all coming together?
1: the future of climate action is looking really great i'm super excited for this forum it's taking place over three days so far we've had a huge amount of interest and some really great people getting involved so looking to be a good few days
0: absolutely there's some really big names attending and it's really great that a lot of people are booking delegate tickets as well what are the themes that are emerging as popular on the agenda as people are getting involved
1: yeah, I mean, climate should be at the top of most people's agendas right now, but the main areas that we're really seeing a great emphasis on is around the roadmap and how companies are going to reach these targets that they've set, what that's going to look like in the years between now, 2030, 2040, 2050. There's a really big emphasis on this. And then further, what will the net zero supply chain look like by 2030? i also seeing a lot of interest in
0: that area as well. It's been a real shift in approach rather than setting targets that are 30 plus years off. I mean, those are still being set, but companies are realising that to achieve a net zero target of 2050, there's going to be significant progress along the way. And we need to think about what do those milestones look like? And that's a really big shift, I think, and really exciting. Any new panellists that got involved recently or sessions that you've brought together? I think since we spoke last,
1: we've had quite a few people come on board. We're at well over 30 speakers now looking to confirm that final 10 in the next couple of weeks here. But since we spoke, we've had Rob Cameron, he's the Global Head of Public Affairs at Nestle, come on board. Susan Balma with Head of Partnerships at Neste. Pauline Odepec, who's the Head of Clients Europe with Carbon Trust, Brian Sylvester is the Global Director for Sustainability and Environment at Boston Consulting Group, and actually quite a few others as well, too many to name
0: (laughs) Great. No, that's awesome. Really interesting people coming on, which is great. So, Natasha, how can our listeners get involved?
1: They can get involved directly with me. Email me at natasha.bodner at innovationforum.co.uk or head directly to our website and go to the Future of Climate Action Forum to find out more information and to register directly there. We do have a discount deadline, so you can save £100 if you register by Friday. If you wanted to get involved in speaking or sponsorship, getting in touch with Anita Thompson, who's the Head of Partnerships, would uh, would also be able to help you there.
0: So there's still lots of opportunities. Just to clarify, listeners, Friday 1st of April is the deadline for saving £100 for your three-day passes. Thanks very much, Natasha. Great to hear from you again. Thanks, Ian. The European Union's new rules about mandatory corporate due diligence are going to have big impact for business. To find out more, Innovation Forum's B. Stevenson spoke with Sala Sastamoinen, Director for Civil and Commercial Justice, DG Justice and Consumers at the European Commission.
2: We're here to talk about the new EU proposed directive for corporate due diligence and corporate accountability. Why don't you start by giving some background on your role at the EC and how it relates to this new directive, Sala?
3: This is indeed a very new proposal from last month, but which has already some years background. We started in 2018 in the framework of the Sustainable Financing Action Plan. And the idea is that the, all of the policy areas from the financing to the commercial law, will feed to the bigger goals of the union, currently the transition towards sustainability, green transition. So this is then one of the measures to support the companies in this sustainable transition. What
2: does or what will mandatory corporate due diligence entail for companies in terms of human rights and sustainability?
3: We are indeed here creating a method, this type of obligatory due diligence process for the companies to assess that they do not cause adverse human rights and environmental impacts. So what the companies would then need to do, that they would need to take the appropriate steps in their own actions and also in their value chain in this kind of the due diligence process. When I talk about the companies themselves and the value chains, it means that the value chains are within the EU and also outside of the EU. For the due diligence process, there are certain, I think, well-known steps from the other international framework, namely that the companies, they have to integrate the due diligence into their policies in that process, they will need to identify whether it's actual or potential adverse effects to the human rights or environment caused by the activities of these companies. And then if they find in this identification that there is a risk for the adverse effects, they have to set up a mitigation measures or prevent first and then mitigate if something is there. And as a last stop, they have to also cease any of that type of measures so stop possible adverse measures. And the due diligence process includes also that this is the monitoring of the whole process at the end, the communicating, so disclosing information about it. So that type of the due diligence uh, is it. When we look at this one, it's, it's not new It's a corporate duty. Uh, We have had it in the voluntary level. I mentioned, I already referred to these international frameworks. What I there meant is the UN guiding principles for the business and human rights. And then the OECD uh, work on the responsible business conduct. So we have businesses who have tried this one. We found that it would be useful to have it as a general framework for the businesses in the EU.
2: You said that this will impact companies kind of inside the EU and outside. What kind of companies will these be and which sectors will be impacted?
3: We were reflecting the question when preparing the proposal. First, we wanted to keep it horizontal. It means that it is all areas of trade and commerce, including actually in the financial sector. How we wanted to have a proportionate start is that the new rules will then apply to the large limited liability companies. We started with the companies who have a significant impact then in the European markets. We need to naturally define what is large companies and what we mean here in the proposal. It is the companies that have more than 500 employees and a turnover of 150 million euros and more. This is a worldwide turnover. This is the first group. In this group, we also, the rules will cover the third country companies, so companies that are not registered in the EU, but which have a sizable turnover in the EU. In this group, it is those third country companies who have a turnover of 150 million and more in the EU Markets. So that was asked uh, from our consultations when we prepared, and that is also in our gap in our EU area, and that way it enhances the sustainability for everybody here. So this was the first group. We then thought that the smaller companies, which have, a, again, a significant effect in certain sectors, should be covered. But there they are phased in. It's kind of the staged approach. So there's a second group of the companies that is more than 250 employees and a turnover of the 40 million worldwide. And that, that they operate these sectors with the high risk or higher risk on the human rights violations or higher risk to the harm the environment. And that has been identified, for example, in agriculture, on textiles or minerals. And on this group, we also follow to the international examples. These are areas where the OECD has prepared guidance already on the conduct of the company. So this is the second one. As I said, there's a little bit more time. It would be once the... Directive is then, or the proposal is then negotiated adopted and transposed. And then those, the second group of companies will still get two extra year. So these are the companies. When we then looked, what does it mean? In practical terms, it means that in numbers, it seems that it is only 1% of the companies in the EU, so only 13,000 companies, because we do not cover micro companies or SMEs. These are not then directly under the proposal. But in terms of the market power, our proposal would cover about 50% of the EU turnovers. We believe that this has a uh, indeed significance then uh, in the influencing uh, in positively to this transition to sustainability.
2: And before the proposed directive comes into force, how can companies use that time to prepare best to comply now?
3: Rightly, as you say, this is now a proposed directive. So it goes now to the union legislators, to the European Parliament and the Council of the Member States to negotiations we estimate it takes a couple of years, and then the transposition period in the directive is also two years. So let's say that the companies have now four to five years. These large companies to also to prepare themselves. Well, from the Commission point of view, we would expect that they are already starting to build, or let's say continue building, those who have sustainability aspects to their business strategies and also creating the structures for the due diligence. Many frontliner companies are doing that. We have the frames on the voluntary basis. There are examples, so it would be good that those who are already doing it could act as an examples for the others to come. This is the time that they can use, or what they can do in the time before it's really then compulsory. Maybe it also mentioned that it is the our Proposal, this proposed directive on corporate sustainability due diligence is not the only measure at the union level. We have, uh, there's also a directive for the sustainability reporting, which is a review of the non-financial reporting directive. This is probably come already earlier when the companies are preparing to take into account the actions in this proposal for due diligence, they are supporting themselves on taking them and executing the rules of the other similar or coherent uh, complementary pieces of legislation. So this is also then, uh, let's say, beneficial on both sides. What
2: might be the consequences or perhaps even sanctions for companies that don't comply?
3: In order then to be efficient, indeed, uh, the union legislation has to have also enforcement measures. It's not sufficient that we would just legislate, but one has to monitor that the rules are applied in practice. We are talking here about the proposed directive. So it means that the directive is transposed by the member states, so it will become a national legislation. And it will be then for the member states that they set up the monitoring and supervision measures. In our proposal, we have chosen, say, the double path. So there is the public enforcement, so supervising authorities, and then there is a private enforcement, meaning that we propose harmonized rules on the civil liability. So these both aspects there. Uh, This public enforcement through the national authorities, EU member states, they have to set or nominate which authority is doing that. They are given the national bodies, also then given powers to give sanctions. Sanctions should be, as usual in the EU law, effective, proportionate and dissuasive. And in the proposal, we mention examples what it can be. It can be imposing fines to the companies, or issue orders requiring that the company complies with the due diligence obligation. Also, something that often is created, we will create a network at the European level where these national authorities come together and where they can, through discussion and coordination, ensure that the future due diligence legislations are applied consistently across the EU, across the different member states. So this was this public enforcement side. We took also then a patent attention to the position of the possible victims who have been subject to the damage. So there the background comes also from the international frameworks which stipulate for the civil liability as an important tool for the enforcement. So we propose harmonizing the civil liability rules relating to this due diligence directive That means that those who are affected by the harm, they will have the opportunity to hold the companies to account by making a legal claim before the court. They have possibility to bring civil liability claim before the competent national courts. And maybe to stress that the civil liability concerns the harms that are caused by the failure to have the due diligence process. That is the obligation under the proposal. We are not creating any new substantive obligations. I mean, these come already from the existing, so on the level of the protection of human rights or on the level of the protection of environment. These exist already on the basis of the legislations possibly originating from the international conventions. But the failure that can be subject to the liability claim concerns then this possible failure to having carried out the due diligence process. So this is maybe important to mention. These two, both public enforcement and then the private enforcement is foreseen.
2: I'm interested to hear about these victims. So might this include kind of victims of climate change or victims of modern trafficking, modern slavery or human trafficking? What would be the victims?
3: That's a very good question, because that allows me also to clarify the aspect about what does environment cover, also and environmental harm. We don't, the directive does not count climate aspect as part of the environmental harm, which requires a due diligence. The due diligence process concerns environmental protection, but there are some specific rules then related to climate change in the proposal. These larger companies where the directive will then apply, they will need to make a plan to ensure their business strategy is compatible with this limiting the global warming to 1.5 Celsius degrees. That is the obligation coming from the Paris Agreement, and where we want that the companies take this commitment in their business strategies. And actually, for their this climate part, that is not subject to the civil liability claims. We made a difference because of all the fact that the climate is not covered by the due diligence process, that it's not yet so clear what the precise obligations for the companies when they are acting to limit their emissions to be in line with the Paris Agreement. So they have a more general obligation there than the precise due diligence process. But then those victims in relation to the civil liability possibilities, they are persons or even legal persons who have become victims of the violations of the rights that we have clarified in the proposal through international conventions. So we are indicating in the proposal that, uh, for those who might be looking for it, is the annexes of the proposal, a list of the major human rights conventions and the major environment protection conventions. Example what you mentioned, for example, victims of human trafficking. This is an, one point that is mentioned in the or one of those conventions covered by the annexes. So it can be also, it could be labour rights, it could be any human right that is uh, protected by these broadly ratified international conventions. These are those rights that we aim to cover and to protect.
2: So this proposed directive is acknowledgments of the responsibility of companies in the green transition and in protecting human rights. How do you see the relationship between EU legislation and corporate action evolving?
3: The companies have taken this voluntary action already for some years and that we are grateful. We see that there is a the part of the group of the companies that are sensitive to the societal demands, to the ethical demands on the consumers. These companies are putting in place sustainability tools at the corporate level. So when we were preparing the proposal, we studied the current situations and we found out that it is around 30 percent of the very large companies that state that they are conducting some kind of due diligence, which we really are grateful. So that is this, let's say, they call it, responsible companies. But that means that at least based on our studies, this means that 70 percent did not go so far on the voluntary basis. This corporate action level is a good start, but it is not sufficient to have the full changes in the European Union, in our society towards the sustainability transition. So what is the legislation then bringing? The legislation is bringing this in naturally in a compulsory way, but also the way that creates the, let's say, respects the internal markets, takes out the national fragmentation, because we do have some member states EU countries who are creating this at the national level, and if every member state would create a different, it could bring obstacles to the internal market. That way, preventing this fragmentation and creating a level playing field for the companies through legislation. Maybe to say also that we have various parts of the legislation in the union. There has been sectoral legislation already concerning the due diligence also in the area of the conflict minerals or timber But now we have proposed also further sectoral legislation concerning, for example, batteries, waste from batteries or on the deforestation. So there also we have the sectoral legislation alone would not cover then all type of the main significant companies. The voluntary is something that is indeed a good start. It's very laudable for the companies already to take, but it does not bring everybody or sufficient of the companies with further horizontal legislation, was something that we thought it was needed. And actually, we believe now that we will get our member states, our European Parliament with us on board to have it as a compulsory legislation in a couple of years.
2: Thank you. The director is certainly very welcome. Thank you very much for joining us on the podcast
3: to explain it. Thank you very much. Thank you for the
0: invitation. As ever, the New Innovation Forum website is the place to go for all the latest analysis and interviews. And don't forget also to take advantage of the £100 discount for passes to the Business and Climate Action Conference. Everything you need to know about this and all of the Innovation Forum Spring Event Series is available online. But that's it for now. I'm Renee Welsh, and until next time, goodbye.